Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the essential role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. At Frost Collective, our specialist place and environments teams work globally with architects, developers, cities, corporations and governments, delivering successful human-centered solutions across place visioning, property branding and strategic wayfinding and signage. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au. Welcome to the 11th episode of our Design Your Life Architect Series, From Lego to Skyscrapers. Today I catch up with the brilliant Yasmin Gohin, founder of the Sydney-based YSG Studio. Yasmin is a formidable interior designer with a colorful palette, influenced by her childhood growing up in the Middle East and her passion for staging, storytelling, and performance. Yasmin established YSG in February 2020 as a multidisciplinary studio encompassing her existing interior design practice and custom design ranges for the home. Hi, Yasmin. It's great to have you on Design Life Podcast. Thanks for having me. We've heard so much about you um, over, the, over the years and a lot lately. Uh, you were in Vogue Living last month as one of the top 50, or probably top 10. What, what, is, what was it? Like uh, interior designers, architects, etc. Yeah, makers, shakers, movers, all those kind of people. Yeah, not designers, not graphic designers, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was like, Wow. That's incredible because I think it's like your business that you started uh, in 2020 mm-hmm. um, kind of came out of nowhere, but of course it didn't. <laughs> but let me let's 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 backtrack. Um, we met a couple of years ago. And earlier on, we we're trying to work out where that was. <laughs> someone's house. Yep. And there was a screen, and mm-hmm. there was a friend of yours there. And I bought your book. You bought my book. Okay, so it must have been a book launch. Yeah, still available by the way. Anyone <laughs> listening in. Interesting, we talk also about how we had kind of similar lives uh, and kind of very nomadic lives in a way, uh, not by our design, but probably by our families initially moving around and stuff. Uh, what was your life like? Where did, how did it all start? <clears throat> you can go Inca- back as far as you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, in Kuwait. I, I was born there and um, my, my parents met in Libya. They, they moved to Kuwait, had me... We moved to Saudi Arabia for a while, moved to Egypt for a while, moved back here when I was about six. And we were here for about three and a half years. And then, you know, I started maturing into a, uh, a lady or, or a woman. And my dad said, right, off back off to the Middle East again. And that's what we did. And I moved. Wow. Um, well, actually, that wasn't totally true. It was a little bit. But um, dad, you know, was unemployed for the entire time we lived, lived in Australia because there's, you know, he, he's an engineer on oil rigs and there wasn't much of that going in Sydney. So he, uh, you know, was literally sitting by a phone uh, for 24 hours waiting for it to, to ring oh. in case there was a job oh, opening. So we did that for, for a long time. And then one day he got this call um, from this American oil company in, in, in Kuwait. Yeah, you've got a job. All right. So he packs his stuff. He gets on a plane. Mm-hmm. And uh, he disappears. He got there the day before the Iraqis invaded. 
and uh, dad went missing for seven months and we thought he was dead and Holy all sorts crap. of stuff. And I still remember like mum, <laughs> you know, calling into radio stations for, you know, people in her situation who had lost people over there and didn't know where they were. And we were pretty sure that, you know, he, he had he had died kind of because we'd never really heard from him for, for such a long time. And then one day he rocks up and he <laughs> opens the door and he's like, we're moving to Kuwait. So we packed all of our stuff up in two weeks and moved. And I knew that I was, I had been born there, but um, I didn't know anything else about it. Oh, wow. So how old were you? About 11 when I was on the oh. plane and I flew over the desert. And I, I, I remember having this very sinking feeling in my gut going, God, this place is crap. <laughs> Wow. So we got off the plane and it was a really um, funny drive because, you know, my dad had been there for a while and he was putting the fires out and the, and the country was really quite war-torn and holes in the sides of buildings and still really quite um, putrid from what had happened before. And so when we got there, uh, the, the apartment building was in this area called Shoich and uh, everything was this mineral green colour when you, like, walked in. And he had prepared a barbecue chicken and a carton of mango juice. And that was our arrival lunch. <laughs> and wow. I still remember that really I'm getting a weird deja vu. Have we, talked, really? we haven't talked about this before, have we? No. God, that's weird. Yeah, it was very So very did he explain why he didn't wasn't in contact? Oh, it, all the communication lines were down. There was no access out of the country. He got smuggled through Syria. I didn't even know he had, like, a gunpoint at some point. Uh he, when I was in the States, I went to college there and he came for an interview and he started talking to the guy who was interviewing me and he, all these like stories came up about him and his travels and how he exited Kuwait through Syria and all of a sudden he's talking about being held at gunpoint. I'm like, I've never heard this story before and it was really, I guess, something he had kept quite quiet. Wow. Um, yeah, it was very, very strange. So yeah, after Kuwait, I was there for ten years. And Sounds like was that the right move to go back to Kuwait after the Gulf War? No, after <laughs> Australia. <laughs> oh well, like, yeah, like we were here for such a short amount of time. I didn't uh, really, when I was younger, I didn't really, I didn't fully engage with my heritage from here because I didn't really understand mm, it. So mm. uh, I spent most of my life in the Middle East, and I probably feel a little bit more connected, mm -hmm. but also disconnected because I don't speak Arabic amazingly. So it's kind of like I look Arabic but I don't speak it that well I speak English like it's my mother tongue and people kind of go how do you speak English so well is that and it's always that well it's my mother tongue yeah. so did it get better Kuwait? in Kuwait yeah um I was there for 10 years it was a slow release it wasn't um it was a very different type of growing up and there was little to do outside because it was really hot so you really depended quite heavily on your relationships to carry you through. Mm. And also your your spaces and your interiors meant everything. Uh -huh. mm. That's where it started to influence you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So then what happened? Did you end up, you, you said you went to America. Yeah, so I, um, I after that I did a gap year at my mum's school. She was a teacher and I, ah. I, I, I taught art. Um, what did your mum teach? English. Mm. Really amazing English teacher. Um, so I did that for a year 
much to my father's dismay, he thought he was like, you got to go to college straight away. And I actually didn't really want to go. I wanted to go and be a performer and sing and dance and do all these things that I wasn't supposed to do as a, a Muslim woman. Mm. Um, so that kind of got crushed, that idea of what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I turned to art as an alternative and that really pissed Dad off too. <laughs> Is your dad still around? Yeah, yeah, my dad's around. He's in Cairo. Um, COVID survivor. He must be proud of you now. Yes, I think he is. Um, I've spent a lot of my life wondering if he is or if I pissed him off, but I feel like I did good at the end of the day. Do you think he'll listen to this podcast? I don't know. <laughs> Gets a bad well, rap. My dad's a good man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. That's Sorry, good. Dad. Well, I wasn't giving a bad rap. <laughs> you were just painting the picture of your 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 perspective on it, I guess, as a, as a kid, which is sometimes... Well, no, it's, it's kind of different. I mean, you know, I talk to my parents about my perspective on things and they mm. have a completely different perspective. I Absolutely. Think. And I'm going, mm. hang on a minute. Was I wrong? <laughs> yeah. I oh. yeah. Was I, was I, did I not experience things the way I experience things? Because it's kind of, uh, going, wow, I, I thought it was, I, I had issues, more issues than they thought I had. But anyways, it's not about me. Let's move on. <laughs> But so that's interesting. So you then, you, you were teaching. Um, yeah, I taught at mom's art. school. Then I went to, um, I actually really wanted to go to the States for college. And I also went going to Canada. Uh-huh. And I enro- had enrolled. And um, uh, one day I was in Australia because we always went back to Australia to visit mom's parents every summer. And um, I got a, I got someone knocking on the door and uh, flowers had arrived and they were from my dad. And I was like, what was he doing now? And he goes, uh, I've enrolled you in another university. I was like, what? And the flowers were like a peace offering. He took me out of Canada that I'd already where, where enrolled. Where were you in Canada? Um, I was going to Toronto, oh. Ontario. No, Ontario, London, Had you, had you actually got there? No, no, no. I was about to fly. Oh. I was supposed to go back to the Middle East. I was supposed to go back to Canada. And I'd organized a house. I was going with a mate of mine that I had gone to high school with. And um, he's like, I've, I've enrolled you in Dubai. And I was like, what? And oh, uh, I was like, I'm not going. I d- I'm, I'm out. Like, I'm done. I was, I've been in the Middle East yeah. too long. Yeah. And he goes, well, this is what you're doing. And I was like, well, I'm transferring the minute I can get out of here. And he goes, I'll tell you what. You can transfer your last year. And I'm like, well, if I get a scholarship, I'm going way sooner than that. So that was my life mission to get a scholarship. <laughs> so then I spent my first entire year in Dubai looking elsewhere mm-hmm. and got my scholarship and left. And he said, oh, that wasn't the deal. I said, it was two deals. You didn't listen to my deal. <laughs> so this is the deal we're going with. And that's what happened. So I, I transferred to Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia uh-huh. and I had an amazing program. Wow. And, um, and then after graduating from Savannah, I moved to Portland, Oregon, Drove my That's a great spot. car and yeah, I, I was actually obsessed with Fraser, Fraser oh. <laughs> from Seattle. I loved yeah, yeah. that so much. It was such a good show. And I was like, it was I, probably I still go, on, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I watch reruns all the time. <laughs> and I was like, I got to go, I got to go to Seattle. And then yeah. I ended up in Portland. And yeah, yeah Portland. Yeah, I was there for three years. Worked loads of different architectural practices from five mm. people to 150, and. Um, and really, at the end of that period, I was like, i got to get out of the States. I want to see some other things. And did some aid work in Africa and mm. Vietnam. And then decided, oh, okay, well, I should maybe try and live somewhere where I don't have to get a visa. 
So I decided to come back to Australia wow. after like 20 years of roaming everywhere else. Amazing. Did your dad try to send you other places after Portland? <laughs> I think at that point it, I, I was gone. It wasn't like a case of, yeah. hey, come back. And mum and dad were in Cairo um, at that point. So I didn't, I didn't want to go back. And I guess what you're alluding to is you came to Australia. No, I did the aid work. Oh, aid work, yeah. I did that for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and I, I, tried, I tried to actually get a job at Amnesty International and they laughed at me and said, well, what would you do? And I'm like, I'll do anything. I'll make a coffee. I'll do the mail, whatever. Uh-huh. But that, that was a pipe dream. And so I went and got a job as an interior designer because that's what I studied mm-hmm. and um, got fired. Where was that? <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, yeah, where was that? <laughs> <laughs> that was in Dali, yeah, Roselle, Roselle. Okay. Yeah, really great practice. Um, you know, some really great uh, fellow uh, business owners used to work there too, like Caroline Choker from Acme, and um, yeah, some really great fire starters, firecrackers. So I was there. Why'd for you get a, fired? I was writing lyrics at my desk, and so I nah. <laughs> wasn't meant to be. But I think I think I just really disliked having a boss, to be honest. Mm. Um, it wasn't really about anything else other than I just liked doing other things. Mm. So um, I was like, oh, let's do my own thing because I, I was I was in a band and I played music and I wanted to be a little bit more flexible with my day to day. So I started my own business for that reason, so I could keep playing music. And wow. then uh, then we got busy and I stopped playing music. So, so now I don't play at all. Where, where did you, when did you pick up music? As since as I was kid? like, yeah, I loved it so much. What do you play? Uh, I sing and I play a bit of bass. But for me, like Sade is like my dream idol. Oh, chick. I saw her at the Albert Hall. Oh, yeah, Incredible. I saw her. Yeah. Um, what's that big, nasty place in Sydney? <laughs> in Sydney. Oh, um, um, Homebush. Yeah, it was a uh, great, great concert. But it's interesting because you're obviously incredibly creative and like music and design, art, etc. Where did that come from? Were your parents creative as well? I mean, your mum's taught English, but that's obviously literature. Yeah, Yeah, super creative. creative. My mum's an amazing writer. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad's a really beautiful drawer. He wanted to be an architect, but um, he, yeah, did engineering instead, I think, just because it was expected and architecture i guess back in the 50s in cairo wasn't really something you did mm-hmm. but he was very creative and mum my brother's creative my sister's creative uh, my siblings are really yeah my brother's a tattoo artist in berlin oh and wow a film artist he's great very cool. very um su- like if you want to talk creativity that guy is just ridiculous mm. yeah prolific cool and so you, when you came back how long was it that you um Started your, your, your initial business with your sister? In 2013. Uh, my sister was living in Spain. She's a landscape architect, and it was something that we had dreamed of. Actually, when I was writing my thesis in um, college, we were on an old fort in Savannah, and I remember walking on the rooftops, and we were talking about the future and how much we loved the idea of being able to communicate and meld our ideas and create a studio. And we said one day we would, but we never lived in the same country to make it happen. And then yeah. there was this amazing opportunity. Well, she was, you know, her time had ended in Spain where she was and she wanted to come home. Mm-hmm. And I had this awesome design brief to design a bar on a barge in Shanghai. Wow. And I said, come and help me. And that's what we did and that's how it started. 
Was there lots of plants or trees on the barge? Yeah, absolutely. Green was there? Everywhere. Fantastic. Yeah. But there's there's a link there too because we we were, we were in 16 Everly Street in Redfern mm. and you guys did the choreo, mm. which is really cool. Which we absolutely loved and spent so much time in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the tree did die that your sister <laughs> planted, but I don't know why. Well, I don't blame the irrigation. Drowned. Blame yeah, the irrigation. Drowned or was too dry, I don't know. So how long did that last for, that business working together? Seven years. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a seven-year itch. Yeah. I don't know. And then <clears throat> what happened? We got older. We weren't kids anymore and, you know, we were creating our own families and it just felt the natural progression to kind of explore our own disciplines rather than try to merge two disciplines. So then what happened? Did you just decide to go your own ways? Yeah. It took a long time to figure out. Um, And, uh, you know, Katie's now in Perth loving being more sustainable and growing things on her own property. And just I think she's got very green... Um, outlook. I'm mm. a lot more urban, and you know, I think it's a. It was great for when it was, and it worked. But I think moving forward, just to um, be more flexible, you have to be. You have to be more flexible. Yeah. As a business owner, so it was the natural progression to become a solo designer and create my own brand, and that happened in Feb of last year. Did is kind of the brand grown quite quickly? Did you feel like it was a time that did that kind of release you to be more in control of your what you're doing? Yeah, a hundred percent. And more visible, I guess. Yeah, and I didn't even really know that at the time when I was doing it. Um, but you know, my branding is quite. Yeah, I think uh, I think when COVID hit in February, uh, we didn't have a phone call <laughs> for a while, and it was I. I always wondered was it my branding or was it COVID. Because my branding yeah. was like, Blame for seekers of the unconventional, it's like really ripped quite a lot of people out of the equation of ever coming to me for work. Mm. And even I had some people say, well, that was, you know, that was pretty bold, yes, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, it's the point. Like, I want to service a market and I can't do that if I'm just YSG. <laughs> yeah. So I really wanted to pinpoint and, you know, be able to have somebody go, okay, I don't want that person or I really want that person. And that's the kind of people I was trying to attract. Did you feel like, did you have clients before you changed to the new new brand? Have they I mean, like must have had transferred clients. across? Did you have people that kind of followed you across? Did you, yeah, keep, did sure. you leave that path for people to kind of find absolutely, you? Absolutely, absolutely. And we were working with clients midway, you know, mid-construction or mid-concept package or mid-anything. And they definitely took, you know, some people were like, oh, no. And then, you know, they got it in the end. But, okay. yeah. And were you, when you started YSG, were you, were you just one person or did you, have, did you bring people across with you? No, we had five, including myself. Yeah. Um, and then... That's five. Yeah. yeah and then, it, you know, uh, now we're 12. Wow. And my husband... Including yourself. Yeah, inclu- including myself. <laughs> including myself. <laughs> got to get the facts right. Yeah, got to fact check everything. <laughs> <laughs> and your husband works with you too. Yeah, that's been amazing. And that's been a really recent merge. And uh, we were always really worried it would affect our relationship. But if anything, it's kind of he's not exactly an engineer, the opposite. Right? He's an engineer. Oh How did you know? That's just too freaky. Yeah, he's like my dad. <laughs> but doesn't want to be an engineer. He doesn't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, is that working out all right? Yeah. Because it's kind of hard. I mean, I work with my son, Luca, and uh, that seems to be going okay. But mm. it's a different dynamic, isn't it, to it w- is, working with someone who you employ? But I think the, you know, the vested interest in its success is where the value comes out. Yeah. And I'm so happy that I've got somebody, you know, championing yeah. the same things I want yeah. too. So let's just talk about the home because obviously – how many homes have you lived in in your life? Lots of different types of Must homes. Must be loads. <laughs> lo- lo- a loads. hotel is not a home, okay, so, or an Airbnb. So we just this place we live for more than six months maybe. Funnily enough, though, I've never lived in a home. Like I've always lived in an apartment. But that's and, not a home? Oh, totally. But And they've always been rented. So they've always been this temporary thing yeah, that yeah. I know I'll move on to something mm. else. But, um, yeah, it's always been home. Mum and Dad were always really good at making it feel good yeah so what did that what did that feel like what did it look like i guess because just trying to think about how that influenced you i mean i lived in i can't remember it was 43 or 53 homes i'm 56 believe it or not <laughs> um but i lived in a lot of places and yeah. it's just amazing how they stack up over time yeah and just the the feeling of moving is exciting actual moving is nightmare mm-hmm Moving in is sometimes a nightmare, but also exciting. But the next morning when you walk, wake up and the new light is just like spectacular. Oh, I love it's it. That, yeah. It's the best feeling yeah. ever. I love moving. I think it's really fun. I think it's a chance to like uh, get rid of a lot of stuff, a lot of junk. And it's also attached to your mind too. So you're getting rid of all that stuff when you're doing it at the same time. So how, how do you think that all that moving that you've done over the years has influenced your focus on other people's homes? Because you're like, famous for designing incredible homes for people like you're doing you're doing it for them yeah like what what's in what influences your decisions on on a home and what a home should be i think it's very project specific and very client driven i had a really funny um well he wasn't a funny client he was an amazing client but he had um just left his partner and he purchased this new apartment and didn't have anything to bring to the table no belongings no memories it was literally a bag, and uh, oh God. he was really embracing the change. Like he yeah. wanted to to do that, yeah. and um, so he engaged us to you know create his new space. And at the end of it, he had, he threw a party, and I was talking to one of his friends, and he goes, um, "So what was what was his brief to you?" And I was like, "He didn't give me one." And he goes, well, it shows this isn't him at all. <laughs> oh, in and a bad way or a good way? No, like in a very curious, ah. curious kind of way. It wasn't my book launch, was it? It's <laughs> not where we met. <laughs> and then I, I went to the cl- my client and I said, I hope I haven't missed the brief here, but is this you? And he goes, it's, I don't know yet. Um. And I, I had purposely designed this space for him so he could grow into it. I didn't think he knew what he was or where he'd come from or what he wanted to be. And so I've spoken to him recently and, you know, six months after he's moved in and stuff and he goes, how the fuck did you hit the nail on the head? I, 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 this is like everything I could ever dream for. Wow. So it was really, I love being able to sum up somebody in two minutes after speaking to them. And it's from the way they hold their hands, like, or the way their feet are splayed or the type of shoes that they're wearing or... It, it's really quick, and mm. I love that part about interiors because it's so connected to humans. And do you think with that, obviously, but but your your style and your palette that you seem to use across very bold colors, very strong shapes, and um, I guess I mean influences from all your your upbringing, right? 
in the Middle East as well. You can kind of sense that as well. It doesn't feel Australian. It really, it really stands out for me just because it feels like there is, again, as another generalization, but there is a, we do a lot of a property uh, placemaking, property marketing. Mm. And for a long time, there's been this kind of fairly safe palette that people have been playing with. Yeah. And you're not designing the physical that. space, but you're, you're designing, you're creating what goes into that space. And I guess the colors of the walls and everything, everything that goes with it. But it seems to have inc- incredible creative confidence, which feel, for me, I've seen that before in you know, Europe and England and London, mm-hmm. you, you see that kind of confidence and that kind of semi-eclectic approach to, to, to um, choosing objects. Yeah. And you do that so well, whereas I think the, an individual making those decisions really would have to be quite a creative person in the first place to make that type of decision. Mm. I don't know where the hell I'm going with this, but I feel like I think that's something which is a, how do you know when your 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 uh, flavor and your decision on what should be going in there is suitable suitable right? for that person? Because you, I mean, thankfully that guy came back six months <laughs> later and said, "Oh my God, how do you know?" I you know, it's quite incredible realization. I think if they come to you in the first place, they want a little piece of mm. something that you know yeah. you can offer them, and what I offer is slightly different from uh, you know a lot of other practices and studios in Australia and because of my heritage I think it does offer a little bit more of a um uh, a blend and meld of Mm. different qualities from all over for me like Australia doesn't have the best history it's quite sorted Mm. I really try and bring in materials that reflect a artisan's hand somebody who's got a really good trade or years of experience Mm. doing something so that there is an element of history in an Mm. otherwise non-historical place. Or less European. Yeah. Um. Less European, less, you know, Australia is wonderful, but it also is growing and it's not, it's, you know, it's fabric is still pretty, pretty um, tight. It hasn't loosened up. It hasn't had that much influence from outside, but it's, but it is going in that direction, yeah. and I think it's for the people who are creating these spaces. I think you're right. I th- I, there was something I talked to um, some people the other day around this this kind of creative confidence that's, that Australia seems to have now. Mm. Uh, and I've been here for <coughs> 18 years, and I can see opportunity everywhere. And it's op- opportunity way back, you know, way back then, 18 years ago. It was a, seems like a long time ago now. But I've, I've looked back at like people like yourself and other people I've interviewed on this on this podcast who've been doing it for 13 plus 20 years or whatever and to see their journey and see where they are today it's really cool to see mm. that and to see oh, wow you actually are making a really important uh, impact and and evolving Australia yeah um and yeah. giving people helping people with that kind of decision making confidence and choosing what's right for them or how to live the life that is, you know, designed for them. Absolutely. Um, we'll talk about designing life later, but it, it's interesting where as a creative person, you're designing other people's lives or the environment for other people to live. And sometimes people will make a very minimal approach to that. I mean, mm. you might be minimal in terms of what you put in it. It's not a whole bunch of clutter. Mm. You make a very clear decisions on what items are right for that particular space and where mm. they sit, et cetera, and the juxtaposition. And you talked earlier about decluttering and all that kind of stuff, which I think is good for anybody, especially <laughs> um, uh, as the home has become so much more of uh, 
workplace, a workplace as well, mm. and more important to us. I think also with your work is this around, as you say, we're choosing work that's been handcrafted. There might be a one-off light or a chair, mm. or even let's talk about your your furniture too, because you're you're designing. You said eighty percent of the furniture or the objects in each of your designs is actually what you've created yourself. Yeah, I think um, for a really holistic kind of overview of an interior. It's kind of like Frank Lloyd Wright or Mies van der Rohe, Cabussier. All of them had such gorgeous flair for creating every single corner and considering every detail and making sure that it flows and works and marries and provides just visually just an absolutely beautiful jewel box. And I would love to think that our work can maybe in 20 years' time, 30 years' time, be alive still and someone hasn't demoed it because it's not fancy anymore or it's not this or it's not that. Mm-hmm. That's why trend-driven kind of things don't interest me and they don't interest most designers. Well, it's, it's, it's all about well, a lot of our work is designing for the past or the future and never really for the present. I love harking on memories to, you know, Edition Roasters is a good example uh, made to look like a Japanese farmhouse from, you know, way back in the day. And the idea is you step into this space and feel truly lost in in that memory. And with the NGV, when we did the gallery installation at the National Gallery there, um, that was a dream-like space for me. It was a dreamscape. It was a merge of both deserts, Australian and Arabic. And it was a true reflection of what I wanted an interior to look like. Those future spaces that haven't existed before uh so Mm. i don't design for the now there isn't a now for me it's about Mm. how to be better so that's in the future Mm -hmm. and if you've remembered something that's so beautiful you give it a life again and it lives once more so i that's the past Mm. the the present kind of doesn't exist for me what about when you design for people's homes what about their past what about their journey how much does that influence what you then recommend there's always at travel you know for our clients is always something that they want to somehow integrate so it might be a textile that they found and they don't know what to do with or a beautiful ornament or you know nine times out of ten these our clients are also not from here they have lives previous lives from Mm. different countries and you can see that in the things that they already have and we try to integrate um and then your future selections you know really complement what they've got already but textiles definitely really have a lot to do with bringing out heritage and telling Mm. stories and do people just do they come to you with some key items that they want to keep or do they say just throw it all away no no absolutely there are things that you know i'm not gonna lie i don't love every single one of them (laughs) but i understand that there is a you know uh, an attachment an emotional attachment to these things and i have to be respectful of you know their desire to integrate them Mm. and um if on that journey they realize that maybe it's not as important or not as beautiful as they once saw it that's also a revelation worth celebrating too (laughs) is that after your many attempts to persuade them out of it (laughs) yeah um so what, what, is, what is home for you? What, what makes you feel good in your home? Uh, just being able to be myself. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, luxy or really high spec to feel like it's 
you know, your home. Um, I live in a 55 square metre apartment in Bondi and I bought it a couple of years ago, gutted it and did it up and I love it. It's small, it's tangible, it's got all of my favourite things in it, um, including my husband. (laughs) (laughs) You know, some beautiful hand-painted details. I got to use so many of my beautiful trades um, to create things in my own home that I get to look at every day. And, I, you know, it's a place of experimentation. It's, you know, I love trying things out all the time, you know. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I love that butterscotch table you've got in the oh, kitchen. Me too. What, who's, is that your design? No, no, that's from Keizu. It's a beautiful table. I can't even remember where it's from. He's was it on the front me. cover of um, Vogue Living or was it in Vogue Living? No, it was in Vogue. Yeah, I remember seeing that and there's like this kind of beautiful leather banquette. Yeah. Was it banquette? Yeah, banquette, yeah. Banquette. Is that how you say it? Yeah. No, what? I've been saying banquette for ages. All right. Oh, maybe banquet. it is. I don't know, but I say banquette. Yeah, well, <laughs> I say potato, you say potato. Exactly. All right, well, that sounds like a great house, great yeah, place. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to really define home, which is really funny considering that's what I try to do on a daily basis, my job. Mm. But it is all, for me, um, walking into some of my favourite homes that we've created for clients is... Um, it feel it, you feel something when you walk in there, mm. and it's lighting. Lighting is so important, if not the most important thing. Mm. Um, and the materials, the way it, you feel when you brush your hand against something, the way your underside of your feet feel when you're work, walking barefoot, or mm. it's the natural elements and how they interact with you when you're walking through the space and how you use it. Space yeah. planning and and creating nooks that you know. Um, are going to provide solitude for someone who's studying their HSC um, whilst mum and dad are cooking in the kitchen. It's really considering every single aspect. How is this person going to use this space at 3 p.m. versus 7 a.m.? Are and you, it makes such a difference. So you study the people you're designing for? Totally. Do you go to their current house or whatever? And no, just I go to their them? current house, take loads of pictures. I, I have questionnaires that I send over that are quite intimate. Um, and some of the questions really don't relate to anything at all that's interior. Just being nosy. Just being nosy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I ask them to write separately so the husband and wife don't get to see each other's answers and then we oh, discuss really? it. Yeah, then we sit at a table and um, we have powwows about, hey, I, oh. I, I have to design for two people. It's not one. How do you do that? Because that's actually quite difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Especially if they're opposing. Yeah, they get, they get a lot of opposition (laughs) but at the same time uh, having a third person out of the equation really helps just solidify why and how you can and you know how you can make it work together you do find yourself a bit of a mediator yeah but i've spent my whole life being a mediator and i think interior designers have to be yeah that's interesting so what i often wonder is does one of the in a relationship Mm. um does one of the couple always what <laughs> have you, a stronger always. view? Like one's like the boss, or one's, I mean, other male or female, or two guys or two girls, whatever. Absolutely. What? Well, there's got to be a boss. So that's that's difficult, isn't it? There's one because the other person might resign to the fact. Ah, oh, yeah, he or she's always. Yeah. I'll just leave it to him or her. Yeah. Is it like that, or do people like how many people are like loggerheads, like going? There's God a few. Damn it! I want the wall purple, not white. No, there's um. It's never really. That it's more how involved is one person over the next. So you know, you very rarely get two really involved people. You'll always get mm-hmm. one really involved person 
and one semi-involved person. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's like marriage. <laughs> you got one person calling the shots and then, you know, someone else is also calling the shots for maybe different things. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's. I think that is really interesting, though, because it's like, well, how many people do you design homes for that are single? A few. Uh, they've been single and then they haven't been single. Because of the deterioration. design? Well, I guess so, right. So what about, do kids get involved? For, did you design for families as well? Kids definitely get involved. Any pets get involved? No, they... pets don't. They haven't made the cut yet. Oh. <laughs> they haven't made the cut yet. So, so kids will have a say? Kids definitely have a say. What kind of say do they have? Some are more Pool. vocal than others. Yeah. Um, I want a swing in the house, <laughs> slides. No, I think I think with you know social media and you know interior designers, I hate to use the word trending, but it's everyone loves interiors. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a Sydney thing or a global thing or a you know I feel like it's really intensely a topic that people know quite a lot about. Yeah. And true. Um, I think the younger generation, you know, people who are looking to study and they don't know what you know, what to do, but they like art and they like this and they like that. You know, they think interiors is a, is a good option and they, you know, will, will ask, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And, you know, when I'm working with their parents and things like that. And I think they're very easily influenced and would like to be part of that conversation, that design conversation when you're working with the client. Yeah. We're, we're, we're doing our place in Clairvaux and I've brought the kids into the briefing <laughs> and meetings and stuff and it's, it's, it's really uh, it's really cool. I find it hard to work out what to commit to what I like personally. You know, I, decisions yeah. I find, people call it procrastination, but it's not procrastination. I'm just trying to find But you're an a designer. Answer. It's yeah. impossible because well, you see so it? many things during one day. Yeah. How can you... Love just one thing. That's profound. Oh, shut up. I love a cactus. There's a <laughs> cactus I've got on my doorstep, which I absolutely love. Um, no, a lot of research, a lot of looking at Instagram, looking yeah. at all kinds of the options. It's like, how do you choose the thing? It's hard. Like, is it? Yeah. For okay. yourself. It's yeah. not hard for someone. Is it hard when it's, you do it for other people? No, because they've given you a brief. The worst thing about doing something for myself is that I never sat myself down and said, what do you want? I never said that. Okay, how did you do that then? Just go on. How did you choose that butterscotch table or caramel? It what worked it, with the palette. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. But were I, you, were it you was looking for a, that particular shiny, no, glossy leg of that thing, cylindrical. I wanted something sculptural. It had to fit in there. It had to do a few things, and I found it and I bought it. But did you look at wood options, metal? Yeah, wood? definitely. I that table. It was a fucking nightmare trying to figure out how to make it work. Yeah. But that apartment in general was because it had such a small footprint and everything had to do 12 things instead of one. But did you look at that table now? Every time you sit in it, go, oh, my God, I love this table. I do, I actually. I love that table, by the way. If you want to ever sell it, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> they, I think it. I'm one of those um, designers, unfortunately, that these things can only exist in that house. Mm. <laughs> and, and I think that's why I struggle... Um, with trends or anything like yeah. that because it has to work with that house. I don't see it like I can take it out and, and it's going to work somewhere else. Yeah. Not because I don't love the, the table, but because it doesn't work with the space. That dining room might be 12 times bigger or just doesn't 
need a square table and I need a rectangular one. It's just all really based on so what it's sitting in originally. Okay, so you said about the house is where you experiment, but is that like does that will that house change the interior change over time, or is it once it's designed and set, that's everything has its place and that is it? No, it definitely changes because often people's homes do just yeah they evolve set up, done or, no. or yeah or just no. get full of more stuff. That's probably the latter. <laughs> it's probably layering, and I mm. think that takes ages. And there's no way you can move in somewhere and slap. 20 years on it and go hey i've got some history here yeah. it's like mementos from past lovers and things that you saved on travels i have all those things and i love them and i hide them in different corners and mm. how can you do that if you just move in and that's the hardest thing for me when you leave house you want to go in to all of their personal drawers and pull out all oh. of these things and just place them in random spots and truly make it feel like they've done it themselves. But how do you do that when you're not emotionally connected to it? Because they're obviously emotionally connected to those memories and those objects and those yeah. things. You're coming from a visual perspective. Presumably. No, you know uh, where you put things that mean something to you. That's part of my job too. Mm. You see things that... No one would normally see about somebody. You're not coming around my house. No. <laughs> you're going to be rummaging around but all you know, kinds of gotta, places. You've got to take pictures of people's robes and undused and drawers oh, and Jesus. things. You know? It's personal stuff. Okay. But i gotta, I got to find out how big my drawer should be for your hundreds of socks. I don't know. Mm, I only have 10. <laughs> but, yeah, that's all important, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the thing is, like, how, do people live in a similar way across all the projects you work on? Are there some crazy people that have like 500 black t-shirts like i have or you know is there is there people that have like live a very kind of um Contained. minimal lifestyle or no the, the, or the one thing i i realize is that people will actually put up with a lot of crap like it doesn't it, it doesn't even work well functionally but it mm. doesn't look good either and there's just so much of i'll work it out later or i don't really need to think about that and it, uh, spread out across an entire house, you've oh, just gotcha. visually just like, what? Why have you been doing this for so long? Do you think that creates stress? It creates stress yes, for you. No, but <laughs> it, it creates stress, create stress for them. And Does it, it? And you know, I I loved going into a house that we recently completed for a family and seeing how they use their space now versus what they did before. They were selling the house before. They couldn't find anything they liked and decided to to reno. And it's completely redesign how they use that how they live on a day-to-day -day basis mm. and i just love it so much that's probably the best example of how a space actually changes your day-to-day -day. Mm. just from a operational point of view like being able to move from one room to the other and having separate spaces for people to to work quietly they've got multiple kids and busy lives and all working from home like it's just so interesting. I find it really, really fascinating that something that makes such a difference in your life is sometimes fully just thrown to the wayside and you're like, I don't really need to make my space great. Mm. I don't know how they, how you can do that when it has such an impact yeah, yeah. on, on do you. you. Think, I mean, I have a messy area. I don't know why. There's a, there's a part, there's a, there's a surface in the kitchen. Which is, I just, this Does it cause you stress shit. though? 
kind of go as contained, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I built this little wall around. It doesn't slide off. But there's something about, I keep the whole house tidy. It's just that area. But there's that. I got OCD. But that, mm. that bit going, that I'm, I'm allowed to have some mess yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Until I redesign it and I can put stuff, stuff in a certain place. It doesn't. It could do my head in, but it doesn't. Yeah. Well, it's organized chaos. It's, it's 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 not very it's just lying there. It's not very quick chaotic, chaotic. <laughs> but it's probably gathering dust, which is annoying. Somehow, some homes you would work on the interior, the the architecture, of the building would already exist. Mm-hmm. Is there times when you work with architects? Is there kind of uh, a collective kind of effort around designing someone's home? We haven't we haven't done that before. I think we no, we haven't really. We get a lot of. Architects are going to hate me for saying this, but we get a lot of people, clients requesting us to change the architecture because they've been really unhappy with where they ended up. And so we do a lot of that. We do a lot of alts and ads. We do all the sort of interior architecture. Okay. So we generally get shells when we take hold of them, Yeah. especially in hospitality or commercial spaces. Mm. But houses will will definitely, you know, do extensive um, external refurbs as well. As the interior. So, and we'll always try to better connect the inside and out. And that often comes with reducing pulls and changing where those, you know, pull balustrades and lines of the house actually coincide and exist together because often they're just so squishy and you can't do anything with these interim spaces. So it's about maximizing them because that's where, at the end of the day, most people spend most of their time. Yeah. And are you. Do you believe every single home or uh, opportunity has potential? Like you've, you said, you have your place is 55 square meters. Yeah. Is it a 50s block? Is it? Yeah, it's an old 60s Art Deco, uh, sorry, a 20s Art Deco block of six. Mm. Um, pretty average inside. But again, it wasn't anything that stood out to me about it before I bought it. It was more about a feeling I had. And it really wasn't anything architecturally that I was in love with. Yeah. But I, the space plan, the, the floor plan was really good. Yeah. And um, I knew I could work with that. And it actually made me feel something. Mm. And that's quite rare, actually. There's a lot of really average um, apartments out there. <laughs> but can you always make it feel, I mean, presumably you may always make it feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. But you got to start with, there's got to be some element of I can work with this. And, and, Nine and a half times out of ten there. I'm going to say ten, actually. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. That's, pretty, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> could you? What about a tent? What about camping? Could you, I bet that you'd be a nightmare. No, actually, I'm so good <laughs> on camping. Yeah. I make it real. I love rudimentary. Like, I'm in a room. I've got a bed. I've got a, a side table and a glass of water, and that's it. But you keep moving it around until you get the right light. <laughs> Lighting, on the other hand, for sure. I've got plenty of uh, changes there. But, yeah, no, I love things being simple. I don't like to overcomplicate stuff. Let's talk about sustainability because you talked earlier about reducing, and I quite, I like that. I like what you said around mm. having more. You, I said, how do you – well, how do you resolve that? Mm. You talk about buying less, right? Yeah. Which is obviously very simple advice. It is, but it's also like just thinking about it. You know, that's that's the age-old question. Buy something that's of good quality up front and then you don't have to do it again. Mm. And just be more considerate with those, like, whimsical purchases. Um, But also, like, you know, on a totally different note, 
we had a hospitality client approach us and they said, oh, we want you to do this pub. And I was like, amazing. And they're like, um, but we're going to tear it down in four years and this is an interim thing and we'll, wow. we'll do it again. And I said, why would you why would you do that? And they're like, oh, we're just, you know, that's part of the business plan. And I was like, I don't really want to be part of the business plan. And they said, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't have any interest in spending all this time and effort and money building you something amazing for you to then tear it down. Wow. And he said, so does that mean you're not interested in the job? And I was like, that's exactly what it means. And I walked away from it because I just don't, I don't have any enthusiasm for something that is so temporary yeah, and so wasteful. How do people, how do you think people should, like we all have these urges to buy something. I mean, it's a terrible thing. You walk, you walk down the road and you, you, you know, there's all these eye candy everywhere. Like it's just the whole world is actually designed. All, all businesses are doing is trying to, you know, to draw away. us in and yeah. make us buy an impulse um, thing. They kind of, I guess, you know, prey on our uh, magpie instincts of wanting mm. to see things and collect things. Mm. How, how do you resist that? How, how do you advise people on, you know, not reducing it from that impulse buy, you know, that like something that is not of quality, but just something that you, at that moment in time, you just feel like you, you got to have it. I, I have those urges too, and I really have to teach myself. Yeah, well, that's what I'm asking. How, I, do, how do you do I, it? How many shoes have you got? You got no, I'm actually pretty good. I'm a lot better than you would okay, think. Okay, fine. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it takes a long time to figure out that you shouldn't buy everything you want because a lot of the time it's not great. It's not mm. stuff that you actually want. You just want it because it is going to feed you something on mm. that on that Monday. Yeah. Wednesday, I want to buy something else. Yeah. And you just have to start separating the hunger for a purchase versus a really considerate, I want that chair that I, I know I'm going to have for 15 years. And making that lifetime investment up front. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I, it's, it's interesting. Still, I, just, I still didn't answer your question, did no, I? No, that's fine, that's fine. It's like we're all searching for something. Like Instagram, for example, and I hate promoting mm. that platform, but we're bombarded with these amazing images from all over the world all the time. It's just incredible. Thousands, millions of images, like, consistently. When you're in the process of actually looking at your home or redesigning your home or whatever, that's actually a benefit because you, you're looking at influences, you're looking at things you might like. That takes up a whole bunch of time. I, I find it takes up a huge amount of my time. I constantly look at interior magazines and, you know, it's, you know, I still buy physical magazines. I love digital as well. It's when, what happens when the home is done? Where, mm. where do you put that kind of, that mm. quest of searching and looking? Because... I it, think could, it could be an endless pursuit. I mean, oh, for, it for is. you it probably is because that's your job, right? But it people, is. When do people go, I've looked and now I, I need to live? <laughs> you know, I, I, think I, I we, need to stop searching. We give them a framework. So we give them the baseline for them to build upon. So it's never like um, we're going to find you the hundred vessels that will live within this space and you can dress your shelves this way and do that. We give like three or four things that then they can add to complement, grow that collection. But you have to start somewhere. You have to set a base for them to be able to think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's what we try to do. Yeah. So we don't try to overstep and every single thing is curated. It can't be. You no. have to give them the freedom to also bring something of themselves to the table too. Do you think people who aren't designers who are, who are – wanting to design a home have that same visual curiosity or that kind of searching? 
if you go to any car boot sale in England, they're definitely <laughs> just like you end up going to there and coming home with a whole bunch of dust, dusty things that you never knew existed in the first place. I, I think you're nat- you're either naturally a, a very curious person or you're not. And it's very rare that you find someone who's kind of in the medium scale of of that curiosity levels. But, but it's kind of... Oh, do you think it's that extreme? Yeah. Because like it, the people are commissioning you because they love what you do and they've seen, they want to live like other places I guess they've seen, but they don't know how to do it themselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I love design, but I hired somebody to do my website. Yeah, it's bloody good too. But it's the same stuff, you know, like I love a lot of stuff, but I don't know how to do it. So mm. I hire someone. I, I, but having said that, I really struggle with the idea of someone designing my house, but maybe it's because I'm an interior designer. But, you know, I actually had a client who was an interior designer. I'm working with them now, and I'm like, what? This is going to be terrifying. you say who it is? No, I can't. It's very hard to design for yourself. Mm. It's very hard for me to design for myself, but I would never still do it. I'd never get somebody in to do it, but actually um, Flack and I have always said we would do each other's houses. One day, so that it's oh, on yeah. the cards. So is it Flack? Huh? It's not Flack then. David. No, no. it's not Flack. Okay. No, it's not Flack. <laughs> What's your partner's name? Tom. Tom. Is he like, can you just sit down and stop moving these things around the house? Like, please. Oh, he said, can you stop interior designing? <laughs> Every time I'm doing something, he's like, can you please just stop interior designing for five seconds? My husband, when I first met him, didn't really care that much about his surroundings and now that's why you married him yeah but now watching him <laughs> take um or just get excited about an interior yeah. is, is magical to me like that's i good. love it so much and he knows he, he can express why he likes something you oh, know that's great which i just love and it's been a real nice journey to watch but that's how i feel about any client i love being able to when they're a bit lost in the beginning and then they're on the journey, the whole path, the 18 months or however long it takes to do this. By the end of it, they're, they're really invested and they, yeah. they, they give feedback and they're really integrated into the conversation. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's so cool. So you actually help them just guess, learn to what they yeah. like. Well, where do you learn these things? It's like cooking. Well, exactly. I, I never learned cooking from my parents. That's why I suck. Oh, Jesus. But you don't learn Did these Tom things. Did Tom know that before? Tom's not good either. <laughs> oh my god! Thank God for Deliveroo's. Yeah, we've just got, we've just signed up to HelloFresh. It's not bad. Yeah, you got to make it though. Yeah, we're still going to make it. But how lazy can you be, really? Well, I tried a few times. It takes hours. No, it's twenty minutes. You're you're ordering the wrong things. Yeah, we kept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're running a business, uh, and sorry, I didn't mean to give Tom a hard time. He's <laughs> that, that's really cool. I think that's so exciting. Yeah, he that he's great. kind of found his taste and learned kind of, I guess, creative Oh, it's just I don't think he'd ever really thought about it. And that's what I mean about interiors. Most people don't think about it. They think of four walls and they walk through them and they, you know, make their coffee, they have a shower and they go to bed. But these things are like life-giving. They can give so much and people think so little of them. And I, Mm. I just really struggle. It's kind of hard to imagine... Like, you know, I went to art school. Luckily, I could have not gone to art school. Um, but that really opened my eyes. Yeah. And that really just changed everything. And 
where creativity could be a career. You know, actually, you know, thinking laterally mm. is okay. Yeah. And not sticking to the rules, etc. And And uh, thank God I experienced that because that just changed my life completely. And I, and I find mm. that invigorating. And I kind of feel like we're all born creative. Kids are all born creative. We all start off that way, but we're all being kind of controlled. <clears throat> Some people like you fight against control mm. and being told what to do. Uh, and like myself. And, um, you know, we, we get there. But other people who, are, who kind of adhere to the rules, you know. Mm. But keep, everyone keep is creative. Yeah, right. they are. Yeah. It's like, but it's so sad that people have shifts. People can in their life shift away from that thing, which actually gives you so much spontaneity, joy, expression, so much, an outlet, and also around knowing what you like and don't like. Like at a young age, that that's kind of there. It's beginning to there, and then yeah. you kind of well, hang on. Other people are trying to influence you what you what you should do or not do, or what you like, what's right, what's wrong, and then you get confused. And there's a period of time I had. Where I just didn't know what I liked or not. I didn't know what was right or wrong. I didn't know what I liked, what I didn't like. It took a long time to kind of yeah. find that again. It takes a long time, and I think you're growing every day still. Yeah. You know. Would you call yourself an entrepreneur because you started two businesses? Not simultaneously, but yes. Yeah. I but, guess too. But yeah, do I guess I don't know. I never thought of myself as a business owner or a someone particularly driven. To be honest, I just didn't want to work for someone else <laughs> but you know managing the business is actually i i found it early days i found it incredibly hard um yeah. find it better now after 30 years of doing it you learn yeah. ways of doing it try things whatever um have you do you find it you got 14 people including yourself 12 what has 12 it gone down people, 12 people including 12. myself okay well so you got 12 people <laughs> Yeah, it's... Um, well, anyways, any, more than one yeah. is, is a business and more than one is, is responsible to manage yeah, another the, person. The business side of things was actually... Um, it's actually really fun. But yeah, I don't know. When I, I still don't 100% know what I'm doing. But I think you, as a business owner, have an intrinsic or an innate ability to see out of a situation. And I think that's what keeps you driving forward and being able to reinvent the wheel a little bit because nothing's the same. You can't do the same thing for the same client. And I think it's just your mind has to be a little bit more flexible in mm. how you come with an outcome. It's not just you start at this point and you finish at the same point. You have to be able to like move. That's such a shit way to explain it, but it's uh hey, you lost me there, but yeah. anyways. Me too, I lost but myself. <laughs> Are you hands on with the projects? Yeah. Like every absolutely. project. Um I'm on the tools. Yep. And are you like is your vision for the have you got a vision for the business going forward? Do you want to kind of keep growing or are you comfortable yeah. where you are today? I I really love the type um the type of work we're doing at the moment and the amount of um or the, the I think where we're at, 12 to 15 is probably, you know, the max. Mm -hmm. I still love being really involved in all of the processes of every project. Mm -hmm. um, and we, in the next 12 months, really want to, to buy something and create a YSG house and be able to invite our clients and friends and collaborators, um, industry folk, to come in and experience what it means to be in a YSG project or be involved with a YSG project. So furniture is definitely a part of that dream. Um, but, you know, there is – I just love the – you know, I just want to, you know, to be able to walk out of the space of our office and, and really engage 
with passerbys and and bring them in and mm. get excited about stuff. And if you wanted to sit around and have a coffee and talk design or just talk shit, play some music. I don't know. Get inspired. Yeah. How often can you get inspired? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to look at my phone. I don't want to look at Instagram and get inspired. I want to be able to have that conversation that really pivots the way you think and go, wow, I can be a business owner too. I can do this. I can do that. And I I can't remember the last time I felt like that. Mm -hmm. I would love that to be a space that I've created and, you know, kind of invite people into what it means to be an interior designer and how you could do it too. Mm. Well, we will, but I mean, you <laughs> you will do it. I mean, I can I know you're a determined person. You'll make that happen, which is really cool. It's good to have that vision too. And in your your home space and your workspace is so important, right? Yeah. Like if you spend so much time there, and as a business, the this, this physical space is actually very much part of your your brand, your culture, your values, and your purpose, etc. All kind of people experience it on the, in the physical. Yeah. Um, and it may not be perfect, but it's but it's it's evolving. Again, I think I think it's you know your physical working space is really important too to oh, get right because so it affects your mood, it affects your productivity, your happiness, yeah. your well being. Absolutely. Um, do you treat them the same way as a home? Yeah, I I want them to feel warm and inviting. I I hate cold light. I really dislike cold finishes. I love warm timbers, and so. You know, our current space that we're actually moving out of over the weekend, <laughs> I loved so much because of its, you know, dark timbers and really chunky corks and things that were um, really tactile. I love that. And I try Have to... Been evicted? Yeah, I'm not evicted. <laughs> what happened? Did they chuck you out? No, I can't fit in there anymore. Oh, you yeah, grown. Yeah. Where are you going? Thurlow Street in Redfern. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a new beginning. It's a lot of fun. Easy move, not too far. <laughs> how did clients change? How did client? How did COVID affect you guys? Did you find it was kind of COVID? Did people more more people doing their interiors or less or what? Oh, there was a moment there that I thought I was definitely going under. I mean, I yeah, you know I I just I'd started the business, um, and then really literally almost a month later, the phones just stopped ringing, and I was like, oh, this is good. This is great. Mm, and it just kind of kept going and I was like mm, this is really this isn't good anymore wow. um, and so I, I had um, two of our staff go on maternity leave at the same time um, and so I had two two staff left it, it was a small team for a moment and we worked on overseas projects actually that really saw us through um, uh, quite a bit of COVID and has continued um, and then in January this year, it just went bonkers. Why was that? I, I, I'm a true believer in things happening for a reason and things happening at certain times. And yeah. I think it was just the time. And I, I don't think it was COVID-driven. I don't think it was marketing-driven. Mm. I think it was literally uh, just I've had some amazing opportunities fall into my lap and I just haven't been able to say no. And we've grown the team very quickly. Um but I've also been very mindful of who is part of that team and everyone's been just a, such a um, magnificent addition to the crew and I'm just so grateful. And what's the breakdown of the people? Is it mostly Are they mostly interior designers too? 
Yeah, we have a few architects, but mostly interior architects. Um, A lot of them have actually returned from overseas, so from London Uh, and Argentina and Japan. And so there's a real eclectic mix of backgrounds and experiences, and I love that. I love that so much. So what is a a YSG person? Someone who's really creative. And it's really hard. I know that sounds so stupid, but my biggest thing is – getting somebody, a yes person who can draft and do all these things but actually can't design. And that's my true 100% thing you have to be able to do is design. Yeah. And it's not a copying from a Pinterest picture. It's a creation. Yeah, original. Yeah, original thought. That's cool. How do you have original thoughts? What inspires you to have original thoughts? I think a lot of it is based on your travels and your upbringing and, you know, I think that's why our crew is quite, you know, diverse in where they've come from and their backgrounds and their heritages. I think that speaks into, you know, the many different ways of design and their language is different. Are you comfortable with that different perspectives on things? Oh, my God, I, that's, I want it. Okay, cool. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, <laughs> so, there's, so there's not like a like a YSG look. Are you saying? No, like, it's you, obviously a, you started it, so you've set up the. Yeah, look, I think. I guess the approach. I think it's um, when staff look for us, it's the same thing as when clients look for us. Yeah. They they want somewhere different. They yeah. want something they haven't seen before. Yeah. And so it's the same same desire. How do you juggle your, your business and private life? How, how do you focus on, you know, uh, your well-being? Uh, I haven't been very good at that until recently. And um, I have danced for, for most of my life and I've recently gotten back into that. Um, and that's really kept me sane. You're breakdancing? What is it? No, samba. Samba. Mm. I knew it. Mm. Yeah, that's been really fun. But oh. I have, I'm not always that great at it and I... Um, I'm a really bad friend. <laughs> I go through waves of like being really social and then not. That's interesting. Mm. I can relate to that. Do you do just withdraw from everybody? Yeah. Yeah. I, I often sit there going, <laughs> what Do I, I have any friends? Yeah, exactly. Thank <laughs> God for I'm the like, dogs. And then I'm like, let's go out. What are you doing? You know, yeah. It's a very like black or white. I'm a not a, a good medium level friend. I'm either in or I'm out, and um, my friends know that. My my close friends know that. But do you, do you like cancel last minute when you meant to go to a function or something? I'll never pull out of something. Okay. I hate that. All right. Um, so <laughs> so it's good you're doing your dancing. That's good. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, what else do you do? Is that your form? Is that your exercise? Yeah, that's my exercise. It's, it's not. It's not even my exercise. It's like I love it so much. It's like singing for me. Oh, cool. um, performance is like what I I love so much, and. Um, you know, I I don't I don't sing anymore, so that's really my outlet. Um, and I need to get back into singing again. I'd love to join it like a crazy choir. Oh, that's cool. Should do it. Yeah. And are you always on with you know design and thinking and your business? Yeah, it pretty much like my brain never never really yeah. switched. Which is actually, off. which is not a. I mean, people used to always say to me that's you got to do nine to five and have a balance, and I just find that I try to. Do I it try. for a long time. I was like, yeah, actually, I quite like being on all the time. Yeah. I quite like, it's actually, I'm, it's, not, I'm not, it's not one or the other. No, no, I'm not juggling. I'm not, like, exhausted. Yes, I work hard. 
but I don't feel like I'm I'm energ- I'm energized by the work and yeah, I think excited. that's the difference like I'm excited to to work on a new concept or deliver yeah. this fantastic new brief you know I find that really exciting more so than going to a pub and getting you know getting on it yeah well, that's also fun but <laughs> you know it takes turns then you start dancing. Yeah, then you start dancing. <laughs> Before they knock the pub down. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, what's the future ambitions for the studio? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I want to, like, world dominate. And I, you know, dominate's a really ugly word. I want to be a Evolve. world poss- possible dreamer type okay. scenario. Inspirational. That's good. So further studios or just out of Sydney, like base it from here? No, I don't think I want to do the like outside of Sydney stuff. I want to take our work globally, yeah, yeah. but I don't necessarily need to set up an office. No, that's cool. Somewhere else. Do you think you've des- I mean, designed a lot of other people's lives? Do you think you've, or certainly designed the space in which they live uh, with incredible outcomes? Um, have you designed your life? Do you think? I'm on. The, I'm on my way. There's things I really want to do. I want to. I want to build an orphanage. Um, I want to design my own furniture range. I want to have kids. I, all these things feed into my everyday and they'll make YSG even better. Awesome. That's a great answer. And you're well on your way. I mean, you've done so well to today. I know you don't talk about the future necessarily, but you said you don't think about the future so much, but it's really uh, cool to see uh, what you've done. And the, everyone I speak to now says YSG and I'm going, <laughs> That's it was so YSG nice. for a while then. <laughs> Now I know. Now we've reconnected, and it's so cool that you've connected with our audience, um, who equally will be inspired by you and your and your work and what you've done. So thank, thank you. you, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening in to this episode of Design Your Life from Lego to Skyscrapers with Yasmin Gohin. Tune in next week where I'll be catching up with exceptionally talented industrial designers Henry Wilson and David Kayon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.